probably the most common advice that I give are one, well, you need to increase your watch time. That's probably the biggest. Uh, the second most common tip I usually give is that you're not making enough intentional calls to action for your viewers to watch more of your videos. Do you want inside tips on how to fuel your YouTube channel in 2019? Yes? Then keep listening, as in episode 83 of the Engage Video Marketing Podcast, we're joined by channel growth expert and YouTube strategist Tom Martin from Channel Fuel. Let's go. This is the Engage Video Marketing Podcast, helping you engage your ideal audience to action through online video. I'll be bringing you the absolute best in the world of video marketing, content creation, storytelling, and marketing strategy, as together we grow to dominate online video and build profitable businesses. I'm your host, Ben Amos. Now let's get on with the show. And welcome back to another episode of the Engage Video Marketing Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of effective video marketing to attract your tribe and grow your business. And today, it's all about YouTube. Now, YouTube's been a thing now for nearly 15 years, and it's clearly the major player when it comes to distribution channels for your video content online. In fact, over 1.9 billion logged in users visit YouTube each month. That's billion with a B. And every day people watch over a billion hours of video. Yep, another B. It's crazy, right? So as a business, how can we tap into the power and reach of YouTube to effectively grow our business, which is what we're all trying to do, right? Well, that's exactly what I wanted to dive into today. And my guest today is somewhat of a YouTube guru, you might say. In fact, he's led the YouTube strategy for some of the world's largest and most successful media companies, gaining the millions of subscribers and billions of views. Yep, another B. So would you like to tap into that wealth of knowledge and unpack how to grow your YouTube channel in 2019? Yeah, me too. So that's why I invited Tom Martin from channelfuel.co to the show. And in the interview today, we'll explore some of the best ways to grow your YouTube channel sustainably in order to grow your business. We'll hear more about Tom's story and how he came to be the brains behind the growth of YouTube channels for TV shows such as Doctor Who, Top Gear, The Office and more. We'll unpack where most people are messing up as they plan out their YouTube content. And we'll talk about the easy wins we can make in order to set our channel up for success and a steady growth trajectory. So get your pens at the ready as there's a lot of tactical, valuable advice in the next 40 minutes or so for you. So let's dive in. Right, Tom Martin, welcome to the Engage Video Marketing Podcast. It's awesome to have you join us. Hi, Ben. Absolute pleasure to be talking to you. Uh, what is now this morning? Yeah, I know. I've kept you up late. It's just after midnight over there in the UK. So I uh, really appreciate your time. And I know you're going to bring your A game though, even though it's the wee hours of course, morning for you. Before we get into the guts of the conversation here today, I'd love to hear a bit more about your backstory. So what led you into the work you do today in the world of YouTube? Yeah, so I'd say my YouTube journey is probably the opposite of most stories that you hear most kind of YouTube journeys were you know I used to make videos in my bedroom and then all of a sudden they took off and before I know it I had a career as a 
as a YouTuber, mine's a total opposite. So I somehow managed to blag a job as a YouTube channel manager uh, for the BBC here in London uh, back in 2012 with zero experience. Um, I had been working at the company in another department for about five years, so I did have some knowledge of what was going on. But um, the first video that I ever uploaded to YouTube was the very day before my interview for the job and I just took a, a, a video of my hand just moving uh, and uploaded it to uh, YouTube privately just in case they tested me what buttons I needed to press <laughs> uh, on YouTube but somehow managed to to get a second interview and uh, put a lot of hard work and uh, pulled in a few favors and managed to get the job and really was just thrown straight in at the deep end. Um, we were launching new channels within like a matter of months that had like millions of pounds of investment in and relaunching old channels. Uh, and I had, you know, zero experience. So, um, kind of learned the buttons to press within the first few weeks. And then really I'd say I've, I've spent the last seven or eight years trying to master the platform really um from there you know i'm not a production guy um i leave that to the likes of you that know what you're doing with uh with lights and cameras and mics so i i basically am brought in to upload and optimize and come up with strategy for other people's youtube channels um so you know back when i started there was no kind of YouTube education, the kind of people like me or people like um, your audience may have heard of people like Tim Schmoyer or Daryl Eves, the kind of big YouTube experts that are, are famed for being experts. So really all of my learning and experience just came from trial and error. You know, I have over the years I've uploaded Personally, I've uploaded thousands of videos in all sorts of niches uh, and been responsible for the strategy um, for the upload of you know many thousand more videos. So I've just seen a lot of data. Uh, and from that, I've been able to refine that into a process of what works, what doesn't, um, what is kind of best practice, and even down to kind of like a, almost like a scientific formula of how I now audit and launch uh, new YouTube channels. Yeah, so take me back. When when was that uh, that position at the BBC? When did you start that? Yeah, that was back in uh, about August of 2012, um, quite a while back. And um, yeah, so within my first month, I was tasked with launching the official Doctor Who YouTube channel. Uh, and not only did I never uploaded a video to YouTube before, I'd never seen an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> so <laughs> quite a challenge. But uh, luckily, I had some people around me that had like encyclopedic knowledge of uh, Doctor Who. So they basically gave me the videos to, to upload and I kind of sprinkled the the seo fairy dust all over them um but obviously back in those days i had no idea what the seo fairy dust was so as i say i kind of learned the hard way but i was really lucky to get some really good um wins early on in my youtube career um you know within my first 12 months i took the official top gear uh, YouTube channel from uh, around three quarters of a million subscribers to three million uh, in just 12 months. So that was a, 
I was a bit of a golden boy in the office for a little while and then um, managed to get a few other channels launched. Official Sherlock channel, we got launched and we got that to a quarter of a million subscribers in just a matter of months. That was, you know, really flying high at the time. Um, worked across comedy channels, food channels, science, natural history, um, a really varied experience across the board. Yeah. So with these various channels that you're talking about there, how much were you involved in the content strategy as opposed to the upload and optimization strategies? Just interested, I guess you're working for a, you know, a TV production studio who probably has content coming out of their eyeballs as far as that content that could be uploaded to a YouTube channel. Um, but how much were you responsible for the strategy behind what content made it onto YouTube? Yeah. So, um, quite a lot actually in the early days, as I was kind of just trying to keep my head above water, um, we had editors that would make the kind of editorial decisions as to, uh, what went into the, the, the clips and, and I should clarify basically at that time, almost exclusively what we were doing was just clips from old TV shows. So we'd get an episode of say, you know, Doctor Who, uh, and we'd chop up the best four minute clips and put those onto the, the Doctor Who channel. So, uh, generally at the start, it was, it was very little. I would choose the episodes and then someone else would make the editorial decisions. Um, as I built out the systems and, and the team for that, I had a bit of breathing space and I was able to sit down and watch the shows and actually choose those, the best moments. So, you know, some of my proudest, uh, ever kind of work achievements was was choosing the moments from uh, The Office with Ricky Gervais and uh, the series of Alan Partridge with Steve Coogan, two of my favorite comedy shows. So choosing those moments was, uh, you know, getting paid to watch The Office was, was pretty cool. Um, and then we started to make some original content. Um, so we had some original natural history content and some original science content. And I became uh, kind of like a, a exec producer on that kind of stuff um not so much with uh you know the presenter and the facts and the scripts but you know i would use kind of keyword research and seo to determine what were people searching for and therefore what videos should we make um and then also i would be in a kind of um an advisor on how we could make the content more um specific to youtube um so making sure that presenters were looking straight down the camera as opposed to, you know, side angles and stuff like that. Um, having really clear um, calls to action uh, at the end of videos and, you know, physically pointing to things that were clickable um, all the way to making sure we had like super optimized intros where we got straight to the point early on and wrapped up really quickly at the end. So more, uh, so instead of kind of editorial, more like how can we format this more friendly for YouTube as opposed to making, you know, TV content for a little tiny screen. Yeah, that's very interesting. I want to get into some some tactical stuff for our listeners to help grow their own channel in this episode as well. But before we before we do, um, I'm interested to hear from you over the time that you've been working with YouTube in that capacity how have you seen the platform change or perhaps how people are using the platform change? Yeah, well, massively. I, I read an article once that said that just in terms of like code alone, YouTube as a platform changes by about 30% every year. So 
the, the kind of biggest shifts I've seen in terms of the platform have been probably um, in those early days, you know, 2012 and before that, basically uh, a YouTube video was discovered and promoted based on how many views it got. So it do really well get a certain amount of views, then YouTube would promote it. So it'd get some more views and it was like a virtuous circle. But that system was way too easy to gain because people could just pay for views or, you know, sit there refreshing the browser. So then in late 2012, they made a shift to uh, make sure that their kind of uh, biggest ranking factor was, was watch time. So, you know, it was just those kind of clickbait titles and thumbnails were, you know, would only get you so far and you had to actually keep people watching your videos for longer. And then since that change, the biggest change that I've seen probably in the last uh, two years is that they're now placing even more time on just the pure amount of minutes watched. I used to always give the advice that um, YouTube's, opinion of watch time inverted commas was a mixture of the actual amount of minutes watched uh, and also the percentage of the video watched so i used to say maybe you know if people were watching 50 percent of a 10 minute video it may be less valuable than someone that watches a hundred percent of a four minute video but I don't really believe in that so much anymore. It's still important to have higher percentage watched, but from the channels that I've run, it's really clear that YouTube are putting a lot more weight now on just driving more and more minutes that people can watch, which is why if, uh, especially in something like the kids market, you'll see like hour long compilations of nursery rhymes and stuff like that, because they're just trying to inflate that watch time. You know, people doing like five hour long live streams just to get their watched watch minutes up. And uh, you have to be careful because if you try to inflate it artificially, then, you know, you're just going to lose viewers because you're making bad content. So, um, but that's probably the biggest, that's definitely the biggest change. And then in terms of how view, users are viewing it, definitely it's, you know, how many people are watching on mobile. When I started, it was kind of a, uh, more and more people are going to be watching this on mobile. And then the latest stat that I heard was uh, it's definitely over 50% globally, but in, in countries like um, the UK, and this was, this was even about 12 months ago, it was something ridiculous, like 75% of all views in the UK are coming on the mobile screen. So um, the way that you make content and even your thumbnails and stuff like that, so it's optimized for mobile is uh, now even more important than ever. Yeah, I'm interested in unpacking that idea of watch time because does that mean in, in your opinion that to really grow a channel on YouTube, you need to be creating long form content or, you know, how, how does that inform content creation? Yeah, absolutely. So it's tough because also I must say it does depend by a niche because there's certain things where you just need to know the information you want to get in and you want to get out. So if it's like, how to change a, a car tire. There's no, there's no point in making a 12 minute video about that. People just want an answer straight away. But if you're looking at more kind of entertainment based stuff or um, like vlogs, personality based stuff, I'd say definitely there's a, a trend where, you know, if I don't know if you, you know, 
I always like to say back in the day, but people would say like, never make a video longer than three minutes because people have got short attention spans. Yeah. And now I say to, now I say to people like, if your average watch time on a video is like three minutes across your channel, like if we want to transform the fortunes of this channel, we pretty much just need to double that to like six minutes. So uh, that's kind of, the most common advice that I'm now giving to people is if you can really nail your audience retention, once you've done that, then we can start to make longer videos, but only if we can keep that retention up. Cool. Well, I think it's a good time to move into some of this tactical advice. Look, we're already going into it anyway. So, you know, for, for the listeners of this podcast, I want them to consider what they're doing with their own YouTube channel, assuming that they are doing something with their YouTube channel. And I'd love to pick your brain and basically just find out how can a listener to this podcast, what can they do to their channel after listening to this episode to supercharge the growth of their channel where would you start yeah so probably the best way for me to start is for me to give probably the most common advice that i give to channels that i work with so i do a lot of kind of audit so i'll go in and i'll kind of strip down what works and what what isn't working and look at the kind of vital signs and probably the most common uh advice that i give are one well you need to increase your watch time we've covered that that's that's probably the biggest Uh, the second most common tip i usually give is um that you're not um you're not making enough intentional calls to action for your viewers to watch more of your videos so you'll often get people that get to the end of the video and say, okay, guys, I hope you like that. Don't forget to comment and like and share and subscribe. And don't forget to check out my website and you can check out my podcast and follow me on Instagram and blah, blah, blah. None of that matters. or it does matter, obviously, but it all kind of pales into comparison to you driving somebody to watch another one of your videos. Because as well as watch time, YouTube are really focused on session time. And they want you to keep people on the platform because the longer you stay on platform, the more videos you watch, the more ads they can serve, the more data they can collect. That's where they make their money. Um, Okay. So so, can you tell us some specific ways about how you would actually recommend that people encourage additional watches of of more content? So obviously we can, you can use end cards, right? Um, But are you actually, you're wanting the people to physically shout out, watch, this, watch this video next. Yeah. Yeah. So if Run you want to get ideas. Yeah. So if you want to get the kind of maximum click through on your end screen, the best way to do that is to have a human in vision. So let's say it's, it's you, Ben, you've got a, a YouTube video and you're making a video about um, a three point lighting setup. Here's me trying to pretend that I know what I'm talking about. So you get to the end of this video and you say, guys, if you like that, then click here and you point to an empty space in your frame if you can see yourself or if someone's watching you. And you say you click here and then you can go on to watch this other video I made, which is really relevant. So it might be um, your you know, best lighting gear set up for under $100. 
Um, but you, because you knew at the time that you recorded this video, what you were going to point to next, you knew what you were going to say and you've chosen the most highly relevant video that people are going to almost certainly going to click on next. And you being in vision, pointing to an empty space and then programming that end screen afterwards is going to get you absolutely the best click through rate. If you just, if you're just on screen and you're saying, watch one of these videos or not even mention them, the, the likelihood of those getting clicked is uh, smaller and smaller. And also not giving people too many choices. You know, don't give them a thousand calls to action, a thousand things to do. Um, really just focus on kind of uh, one or two videos max if you can. Um, obviously, a lot of your audience are small businesses, marketers, and they want to get people to their product page or their services page or uh, you know a landing page, whatever it might be. Um, but you have to have a really fine balance between sending people off platform and keeping them on. So my golden rule is ideally, you never really want to have a strong call to action that sends people off platform more than maybe 25% of the time. So one in four videos max, I would send people um, off to an, uh, another platform, basically. So it's kind of Gary V's rule of jab, 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 right hook in a way, if you think about the, the ratio of, you know, videos that just provide more value, keep people on YouTube, he watch another video, watch another video. And then every four videos or so it might be now click the link and go off and, and, you know, download my opt-in or my, you know, go and buy my product or whatever it may be. I yeah, think that's, that's exactly, um, that's exactly how I described it to somebody earlier today in a meeting actually, but without mentioning Gary Riggs, I didn't think they'd know who he was, but yeah, you just deliver value, 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 and then you, you can pitch. You know, a really good way to think about it is maybe if you do a series of four related videos and you're taking them deeper and deeper onto a journey and then by the time they've got to that end of that fourth video, they're much more likely to click anyway. So um, it really makes sense. And then you can also still have links to your products in your description and stuff like that. And, you know, then if people really want to search for them, they're going to find them without you really, you know, hitting them over the head with it. Yeah, I like that, that series, that idea of a series and, and planning in the content production phase, you know, how you're going to link and find linkages to other videos uh, in your library or that you're going to create as well. How, how do you approach that if you were releasing a series of videos, uh, say four videos that tie together, but you're releasing them, you know, one per week, for example, what's your approach or how would you recommend that people do that when for that first week that that video is live where you want to be driving the most traffic to that video but the second video is not live yeah. yet so how do you approach that there is no easy answer there's no easy way unfortunately um what i there was a, there were a few times where what we would do we would kind of have an unlisted video um so it wasn't you couldn't search for it you couldn't find it but we would put it in the end screen and you could click on it from the end screen only as a kind of bonus for people that were kind of early watchers. But we soon realized that having videos unlisted before they went public was actually really harming the harming the kind of uh, momentum of the video once it went public, so we, we stopped doing that. So what I started to do instead was have a piece of text on screen that would say, so I'd point to it and then it would say, 
coming next week. And then when I put the end screen on, when the video came next week, it would cover up the text. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you so go. Under, that works. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, they are kind of left um, unsatisfied because they can't get to the next video in the series. But hopefully they'll subscribe and they'll come back next week and you'll, you'll leave them really wanting more. But yeah, there's no real... Um, there's no, there's no real uh, easy answer for that one. Unfortunately, there's no real solution for that. I guess alternatively, you know, it, using text there instead of saying something like "coming next week," you could say "subscribe to view the video when it goes live." Yeah, um, and True. then include the subscribe call to action in the end card. And uh, for that first week, where until the video has gone live, then people are you know encouraged directly to click that subscribe. Right, so that might be a good strategy. Yeah, exactly. So you could say, and to make sure you don't miss it, click that subscribe button and hit the notification bell so you never miss a single one of my videos, something like that. So yeah, that'd be a really good call to action. But then it's only a matter of days before you'll be putting up the next next video anyway. So, you know, you should absolutely be fine. And that's the beautiful thing about YouTube is it, it um, you know, when you upload a video, it, it lives on forever and it keeps delivering value to you and your audience whereas something like a facebook video is pretty much gonna you know fall off the face of the earth after you know 48 72 hours yeah well let's go down that path a little bit because we talked about that idea of the the trajectory or the momentum of a video um you know obviously we recognize the value the long-term value to that library of content over years when it comes to youtube but in the first days of releasing a video how important is is engagement views watch time and what does that do to a video yeah extremely so um basically youtube is is, it's a bit like um facebook's algorithm but maybe a little bit less aggressive so what it will do it will send the video out to a sample of people mainly from your subscriber base but also people that have engaged in your videos before. And basically what it will do is say, how do people respond to this video? Uh, and if people are clicking, uh, and now we can get click-through rate data in our YouTube analytics, and then are they staying around and watching and sharing and commenting, then they'll push it out to more people and more people and more people. Uh, and that's how a video goes viral, but also just how it gets a good start to life on YouTube. So. You can pour some rocket fuel on top of that by sharing it on social media, to your email list, um, you know, however, you know, in forums and what, well, you know, however you're going to promote anything that you do in the world, paid media, perhaps. Um, and, and generally there are exceptions to the rule, but basically the performance of that, of the video in the first, 7, 12, 24, 48, 72 hours will determine the success of that video for life, basically. Will it, will it you know, go on to, to get uh, good views and consistent views over the next few years or will it pretty much wither on the vine and just go into uh, anonymity? There are ways to kind of, you know, bring life back into a, a video that's uh, quote-unquote, you know, died um you can give it a fresh thumbnail a fresh title um that often helps i've seen that have like really crazy results um and also you know 
even just random things like all of a sudden, two years later, you forgot you made a video and then it gets posted to Reddit and it goes crazy and then it's back in YouTube's good books and it's it's kind of gone viral. That's obviously a, a little bit less in your control. But again, it's the fact that YouTube's a repository that's kind of um, evergreen and, and videos can be found you know, almost in perpetuity. Yeah, yep, cool. Awesome. Um, so when people are... Uh, aiming to grow a YouTube channel and let's, you know, focus it around businesses looking to grow a YouTube channel for the benefit and purpose of growing their business uh, or marketing their business as opposed to YouTubers trying to be YouTube fans, yeah. right? Yeah. So let's focus in on that. But what are the, what are the main things that people tend to either not do or do wrong with their channels? Yeah. So if I'd say first of all is they, um, they just make videos that they think their audience want to see, or they want, they make videos that they want to make without really knowing what the audience want in the first place. So they're kind of going on a whim, scratching their own itch, or, you know, there's a few anecdotal, they've had a few anecdotal questions asked to them. So they'll make a video about it. But to me, it seems like a, a, a very wasted effort to be making, you know, you could go off and make a hundred videos that way and get no audience because nobody ever put their hand in the air or more, more accurately, no one ever typed in a search bar uh, um, for what you're making. So um, what I always advise for, for anyone, whether they're a business or a creator, is to do some kind of keyword research. Um, and that can be really in-depth and complicated or it can be quite simple. But uh, essentially what we're doing is we're using some kind of tool, whatever that may be, to find out exactly what people are searching for, the exact language that they're using, and in what kind of uh, volume they're searching and how, competi how competitive um, would it be to, to rank uh, in YouTube for that for that keyword term. And once you've got those keywords, you then know that you're making videos that have got uh, an almost guaranteed audience. And you also know your chances of actually being able to show up for them keywords. So let's say for example, you got into the, uh, you had a, a web hosting company and you wanted to start a YouTube channel. Well, it's probably com pretty competitive out there like it would be on any other platform going up against the likes of GoDaddy and Bluehost and Hostgator. Whereas if you did a bit of keyword research, you may find that um, there are certain terms that they're not targeting so well or they've totally ignored a corner of the market. Or you might just realize, you know what, this is, it's not worth me even trying to do this or, or at least not trying to do it organically. So I'll just do it exclusively 100% like paid advertising on YouTube and just pay to get in front of my customers. So when it comes to keyword research, um, maybe if you can, uh, we could spend a whole episode on this, but <laughs> yeah. you maybe mention your favorite tools to use or processes to start that process off. Yeah. So I use a tool called um, vidIQ, uh, V-I-D-I-Q, um, and they have a free tool that you can use for keyword research, but that will only give you very limited um results but you can get the um the cheapest pay plan is um i think ten dollars a month us dollars even cheaper if you pay annually 
uh, and it's by far the best ten dollars you'll ever pay if you are any kind of video marketer. Um, and basically, just like uh, like a Google search bar, they've got a keyword tool. You just type in like a seed keyword, so you might put in web hosting, and that will spit back um, how many people are searching for the term web hosting, how competitive how competitive it is, uh, and how likely you are like how 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 good of an opportunity is it overall not only will it spit back that exact phrase that you've typed in it will spit back a whole list of related keywords so it might be stuff like how to install wordpress do i need web hosting what is web hosting so you're getting not only uh, um a whole list of, of potential content ideas that you know people are searching for, but you know um, exactly what language they're using so you can optimize for that and you know how competitive it is or not. Yeah, cool. VidIQ is awesome. Uh, we use VidIQ here. Uh, another alternative is TubeBuddy is another one. Um, and then you've got Google Keyword Planner as well, which some people um, recommend as well. So there, there are multiple options, but yeah. um, that's good to understand that process. But we won't spend too long on that because I want to unpack a couple more mistakes that people are making. So mistake number one you said is people are creating content without doing their research first about what people are actually searching for. Are there other mistakes that are pretty common? Yeah. Um, so related to keyword research is they don't have kind of structured or consistent metadata. So they make a video, it's about, okay, let's just keep going with a web hosting analogy because I've got it in my head now. So they make a video about how to install WordPress. They just call the video how to install WordPress, a very short description that maybe mentions WordPress. And then in the tags, they'll just put like WordPress, how to install WordPress, and a few other tags that they've just thought of at that moment in time. The problem with that is you are not, how do, I, how do I put this succinctly? Tags and metadata work very differently now than they did back in 2012. Back in 2012, you could just fill up the box with relevant tags to that video and you had a very good chance if you had a half decent channel and a half decent video that that was going to show up in search. It's a lot more difficult now. So what we... What I always um, suggest is that you have a very structured system of consistent metadata across your entire channel. And the reason behind that is what we're trying to do is we're trying to engineer relationships between our own videos so that YouTube is much more likely to suggest us in that suggested sidebar down the side because search is really great for initial growth and initial discoverability, but for a long-term obtainable and sustainable views that suggested sidebar is really going to be the difference between the life or death of a channel so um if you're only taking up a few of those spots in the suggested sidebar then you know there's a there's something going wrong somewhere um and i think that by implementing a really structured system where you have very similar chunks of metadata across your videos um, and again we could speak about this for hours um, then you're just helping youtube to realize that your videos are highly related to each other so if somebody watches one they're much more likely to suggest another eight nine ten videos cool so specifically what is what does that look like is it a matter of using a a unique 
tag in all your videos, like your business name, for example, or, um, you know, what, what do you actually do to get that relationship between your videos strong? Okay. So, uh, I'll try and keep this as brief as I can. So basically I look at it as a three layered system. So we have basically, um, metadata that relates to the entire channel metadata that relates to the category of video that you're making and then metadata that relates just specifically to that video so like you say in the at the, at the channel level we may have like the channel name the business name and then the really high broad terms like web hosting or you know wordpress hosting and then in the then what I would say, then you would break down your content into categories or buckets. So you might have like how-to videos or review videos or frequently asked question videos or sales videos. And then for each of those categories, you'd have another chunk or uh, selection of metadata that you would use for every video that appears in that category. And then... On top of that, you'd have metadata that is only specific to that video. So, for example, trying not to get too, <laughs> too yeah. theoretical, but for every video, you'd have um, channel-level metadata in your tags, titles, and descriptions. You'd have category-level metadata in your tags, titles, and descriptions, and you'd have video-specific metadata in your tags, titles, and descriptions. So if you can think about your whole entire channel, let's say you've got a thousand videos, you'd have all 1000 videos would have that same video, uh, that same channel specific metadata, big chunks of those. So let's say 200 videos in each category would have the same category level metadata. And then they would all be unique because none of their video specific metadata would be the same. Yeah. So okay. there'd be big chunks of videos that had 60, 40, 80% of metadata that was identical and only separated by the video specific stuff. And so what we're doing here is we're just getting YouTube to say, Oh wait, people like this video and here are another 20 videos that are from the same channel based on the same category. So we'll send them over there. And that's what we're trying to do in the long term. And I've seen that have some incredible results. Excellent. And just to clarify as well, this is something that you can do historically, right? So you can change this metadata as you're reviewing and auditing your channel. Uh, is, that, is that what you recommend? Yep. So I always um, recommend that people go back and clean up old metadata or add to it if it's a bit uh, empty or clean it up if it's a little bit bloated um, and structure it as much as possible. Um, one question that I always get, and I'm sure it was probably going to be your next question is, is there a risk if you've got a, a well-performing video that you could actually harm it? So the answer that I always give uh, to cover my backside is, if it pay, if the video is doing so well for your business that it pays your mortgage, don't touch it just in case, because there is some inherent risk. Uh, but I personally haven't seen uh, negative results of doing this, and I've, you know, I've, I've gone back and changed videos that were actually getting hundreds of thousand views, if not millions of views a month, and there was no negative change. But um, 
if you are particularly risk averse or there are certain videos that are kind of the lifeblood of your channel or your business, then uh, maybe uh, don't touch them just in case. But generally, I think the system works best when that it's, imply, it's uh, implemented across the entire kind of back catalogue. Yeah, cool. Awesome. And so definitely worth experimenting with and trying and seeing the results. Um, I just want to dive specifically into that title metadata because, mm-hmm. um, to be honest, I've heard mixed things uh, about best practice for, for the titles. Now, um, you have, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 100 characters in that title that title section, uh, is it best to maximize that and use all hundred characters or are you penalized potentially for stuffing too many keywords or too much metadata in that title? Yeah. So, um, I don't think you're, you're penalized for using a hundred characters. Uh, I also don't believe you should be aiming to try and get to a hundred characters. Um, but you also shouldn't be kind of just really blatantly keyword stuffing as in like just making it just a gobbledygook of just List really of comma keywords. Yeah. Comma yeah. keywords yeah. Um, but it definitely should be keyword rich. Um, and, but ultimately you'll be, you'll be penalized for, for keyword stuffing, not because YouTube are like clamping down on it because people won't click on it. If it's just ugly and doesn't make sense, people can see that you're just spammy. Uh, and if you're not getting clicked, then again, it's uh, you're going to get dinged by the algorithm eventually. So what I always say is, uh, and I do kind of disagree with a lot of people that say titles should be like super short, is that um, I say that basically the front or the start of the title is for the humans and the rest of the title is for the machine. So you have the hook of the title, like the sexiest part, the part that's going to get the click. Um, you have that at the front. And then at the end, you have the kind of more structured metadata category related stuff, like channel name, I always recommend. You have that at the end because it's, it's most likely going to get truncated on most devices anyway. You won't even see it but the machine can read it, the algorithm can read it, and it can take in those keywords. uh, And it can see that, uh, again, it's similar across your whole catalog of videos. And it's just helping to engineer those relationships, which is really as a a, a YouTube channel manager, it's it's what we're trying to do uh, all day long, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. And I always uh, talk about the idea of audience optimization before algorithm optimization, Mm. which is the same thing. Like if you're providing a poor experience for the intended audience and it's not encouraging them to click play, to continue watching, then the best algorithm optimization you could do is not going to work anyway. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, optimization is not a silver bullet or magic cure for bad videos. It is, um, it is a, it is a multiplier of quality. So if you've got a great video, it can really like make it skyrocket. It can make average videos perform pretty amazing, but if it's just a terrible video in the long term, you know, you, you know, you can't polish a, a pile of dung, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So I want to dive into another aspect of, and it's still an aspect of optimization, but also relevant to that audience 
part that we were just talking about there is the importance of of the captions or the subtitles or transcripts. Um, so how important is that? And, you know, depending on, uh, you know, the language being used uh, and whether or not there are uh, automatic transcriptions being done by YouTube, are you better off replacing those with proper transcriptions? Tell me all about transcriptions and captions on YouTube. Yeah, so I've I've heard it said not by YouTube, by just you know general people in the industry that uploading a caption file can maybe give you an uplift of about five percent of views. Now I've got no idea where that comes from originally, how scientific that is, and I've never seen evidence that could prove that. But I do definitely believe that if you have the time and resource to upload a proper captions file, uh, then you should do it. YouTube is clever it's getting more and more smart every day using ai machine learning stuff like that its recognition skills are getting better but it's still not totally accurate when it comes to reading in inverted commas what you're saying in the video and the best uh, example of this is if you do read those auto-generated captions um you know and <laughs> The beauty of it is that of, of a captions file is that YouTube can index correctly what you're saying, whereas previously they couldn't. But if they're translating your speech and they get it wrong, especially if you've got like a, a thick accent like me, and I, I'm talking about a ship, and they they get that mixed up with an expletive word, you know, I've heard people that have had their videos demonetized because their auto transcriptions have. Uh, translated their videos into swear words by translated their words into swear words by mistake so um, I would always make sure if you can that you take down the auto transcript and replace it with a proper one uh, a really good hack for this is to actually download the auto transcript and just fix that rather than starting from scratch you can do it in like depending on the length of the video uh, you can do it in just a matter of minutes rather than trying to transcribe your your video from scratch um, and then also it has the added benefit of you know a lot of people now are watching in public places at work where they maybe can't hear the audio so audio so well but they can still enjoy it of course the accessibility features of people that are hard of hearing or, or totally deaf and then putting it into other languages as well so there's what well a big a big um advantages there are a lot of people that watch youtube videos to help them learn english uh, so they put the subtitles on to help them understand what people are saying and then if you can put um foreign language subtitles in then you're opening yourself up to a whole new audience um who previously couldn't watch your videos but that's a whole nother level of uh, effort and resource and money so yeah. you kind of have to weigh up whether it's worth your your time if you happen to speak a couple of languages then <laughs> that probably helps yeah interesting and just on the youtube's auto transcribe feature i mean i've seen it improve significantly over the last couple of years but interestingly it still struggles a lot with australian accents probably with british accents too mm. and i discovered the other day uploading a video that was talking about facebook and linkedin that it, for some reason the auto transcribe just does not recognize those two words. I don't know if that's deliberate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every time I mention those two words, it got it completely wrong. So I don't know. I think a bit of a conspiracy going on there. Um, yeah, that's so. Um, 
YouTube thinks they're swear words. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, One thing actually while we're talking about this that I find very interesting is how uh, Google search results are actually now tapping into uh, YouTube transcripts, whether they be auto transcripts or or I guess, um, you know, your... Uh, uploaded transcripts and actually returning some sections of videos in uh, the rich snippets at the top of a search engine results page. Relatively new. Uh, Obviously, that's a benefit to uh, uploading a transcript if you can, because, uh, you know, you're going to be more accurately uh, ranked, I guess, or indexed by Google's uh, search algorithms as well, right? Have you got any experience or, or anything to comment on there? Yeah, I must say I wasn't aware of this until maybe two weeks ago. Uh, well, I was aware of the fact that they were indexing transcripts, but to go to another level now where they've got the, you know that Google brain working to be able to see and digest the content of images a bit better, they're now also showing rich snippets based on images. So it can find somewhere in a video by image what you're looking for. Uh, yeah. I can't remember what the, 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 the example was that I saw at the conference where it was demonstrated, but let's say it was, um, a boil it, how to boil an egg and it cut to the bit in the video where the egg was in the boiling water and it just knew by the image in the video. And so, you know, I think maybe people like me that rely on uh, SEO manually, it's, we're probably, a you know, be obsolete in five years because yeah. we'll just be able to read everything and know the context and it'll just it'll be well it'll be like skynet but <laughs> that's a that's another podcast entirely but yeah it's uh, it's incredibly smart and it, it it grows in its capabilities every single day it's uh, it's pretty amazing yeah yeah it's really interesting and i think it'll be interesting to watch this space as well look um I want to I want to start wrapping things up here. I mean, we could go for hours talking about this stuff, but we won't. Um, maybe we'll have you back on the show again soon. Of but course, yeah. one one Pleasure. last thing I want to talk about, specifically when it comes to businesses thinking about where YouTube fits within their digital marketing strategy, um, there was obviously uh, some some changes made to the YouTube Partner Program and the ability to monetize your videos and some yeah. of the additional. Uh, aspects or different additional features that a YouTube partner program channel was allowed. I experienced quite a number of people within my network and our clients who were concerned about the fact that they didn't now qualify for the partner program and therefore they weren't able to monetize their videos or they weren't able to link to external websites and things like that. How much should people actually care about their ability to be part of the YouTube partner program? Um, And, you know, where does it matter and when doesn't it matter? Um, Yeah, so I think the biggest disadvantage for a a business um, in not being part of the program is that you can't link out to your associated website uh, in video. So if if you're making videos and you're like, oh, yeah, and go and check out, you know, my used car lot by clicking on this end screen, well, that, that's not clickable anymore. So that's probably the biggest disadvantage. YouTube have said publicly that if you're not part of the, the partner program, then that, that shouldn't affect your discoverability. Uh, I don't believe that for a second uh, because if they can't make money from you, then they're much less likely to promote you. You know, that's just my opinion. Um, um, but generally what I would say is, 
in terms of like not being able to monetize, that shouldn't be a concern for a business anyway. But the levels at which you would make money below that threshold, I think when they came out and said it, the vast majority of people that were under that threshold were making less than like $2 a year or something ridiculous like that. So you're not missing out on huge amounts of money if you're not hitting those thresholds. The biggest concern for me would be if I was a business, how do we just, you know, if you're not hitting those thresholds, you're not, you're generally not getting a huge amount of views and watch time. So it would be not how can we get into the partner program, but how can we get more exposure to our videos and just grow generally? Um, because, you know, if you're an ambitious YouTube channel or a business, an ambitious business with a YouTube channel, uh, your height should be set way above those thresholds that are set for that, uh, that partner program, basically. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And I think obviously making decisions around goals that you set for your YouTube channel based on real business decisions, not on vanity ideas of like mm. reaching a certain number of subscribers on a channel, but what is actually going to move the needle for your business and reach Absolutely, the right yeah. people that you can actually service with your products or services, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and for, for some channels, you know, it, if you're if you're selling you know one dollar widgets, then you need a lot of views. But if you're selling you know luxury yachts, then you only you might only need twenty views on a video to <laughs> to make twenty million dollars. So it's all relative. Uh, so for some people, it may not be it may not be relevant um, at all. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Look, I think there's been a lot of uh, practical and tactical advice that people can start to implement in their own channels uh, in this episode. So I really appreciate that. I know we could have gone in a lot of other places as well. And there's probably a, you know, another hour or so that we could go. And, and I think we will do that again for sure. But for now, um, you know, if people are interested in finding out more about you and what you're doing uh, now, and perhaps even using some of your help in order to uh, get some clarity on their own YouTube channel. Uh, where can people go and what should they do? Yeah, so you can find my uh, my new business, uh, um, channelfuel.co, that's channelfuel.co, uh, and that's where I, I have like my professional services business. Um, if you just wanted to kind of really just get started with the basics, um, I've got a pretty cheap ebook um which basically covers how i run my youtube channels um, from all types of optimization it's how i teach my teams uh and you can find that at optimizationebook.com and that will redirect you to your local amazon store to be able to buy that Excellent. We'll have the, the links to all of that in the show notes, guys. So head on over and check out what Tom has to offer and, uh, and get his help. I think uh, you won't go wrong. So look, Tom, I appreciate you staying up late for us. I know it's nearing on one o'clock in the morning there for you now. So we'll have to let you go and let you go and tuck yourself into bed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks very much for your time and, and your wisdom here today. Thanks, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again to Tom Martin from channelfuel.co for dropping some serious value on us today. Are you itching to dive in now and do a bit of an audit on your YouTube channel? Yeah, me too. In fact, I'm gonna go and do that right after I stop recording here today. But let me know what you thought of today's show and particularly if you'd like me to bring Tom back onto the show and if so, what do you wanna know? What should we focus our next chat on? Hit me up on Insta or Twitter at engage underscore Ben. And if you enjoyed today's show, I'd seriously love it if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review 
over on iTunes. It only takes a few minutes, but it means a lot to me. And I thank you for that moment that you're going to share. So that's it for another week, but I'll be back with you again next week, this time with another solo show, as I'll share with you some simple tips to help determine which metrics you should be paying attention to with your videos. So stay tuned. Hey, Ben here. I just want to take a moment to help you out with something. If you, like many of the Engage Video Marketing Podcast listeners, are looking for ways to do video for your business better, then keep listening. I've put together a free Foundations video course designed to help you better understand the fundamentals of effective online video strategy for your brand or business. The three-part video series will step you through the roadmap to ensuring you know what videos to make and why, so you can get started the right way with video for your business. To jump in right now for free, head on over to engagevideomarketing.com foundations. I can't wait to see you there.